everybody, and welcome to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through the best resource that they have, that resource being, of course, the critically acclaimed Netflix series, The Crown. Today, we're going to be talking about season one, episode four, entitled... It's an act of God, Babati. Uh, Act of God. Joining me today, I have two very wonderful co-hosts. First, Mr. Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Sam? I am doing great. And also today, we have Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Sam. No problem. Carlin, today we're going to be talking about an episode all about the smog. As an L.A. resident, have you ever seen smog this bad? Not this bad. I'm kind of surprised we haven't had smog this bad. Honestly, I wouldn't really know what to do. I guess this is just where you don't leave your house. It feels very San Francisco. Like, I remember a full house episode about this happening. So maybe that's where the inspiration came from for this. The other way around. It feels like a shot fired to your no-cal friends. (laughs) (laughs) They have thicker fog. I don't know. Yeah, we have smog. But, like, if it got that bad, I think we might die. I mean... It seemed like this was very catastrophic fog. But before we get too deep into it, as always, it's uh, worth disclaiming right off the top that if you came here because you're curious about whether or not the crowd is historically accurate, you want to know, for instance, whether or not Venetia was a real person, you've come to the wrong place because we don't know and we don't care. We're just going to assume that everything that happened on the screen happened in real life and that's it. We're not going to look into it any further. Um, And so without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Uh, Carlin, I believe you have a quick recap for us this week. Yeah, this week is all about the weather. So we have a couple storylines going on. Obviously, everything revolves around the fact that London is blanketed in fog, not only fog where you cannot see anything, but apparently poisonous fog. It, It seems very apocalyptic. Very unfortunate for anyone living um, during this time. Basically, Churchill, you know, Churchill, we got our Tory boy in office and he kind of isn't doing anything about the fog. He's just like, you know, it's weather. Like, this is just sort of like what happens and it'll fade. But on the other hand, we have our good friend Clem and he is in the Labor Party and he's like, I see the advantage here. Let's dig Churchill a grave with this fog like political purposes so we got that intrigue going and meanwhile elizabeth's having a little bit of an existential crisis and so she spends a lot of time with her grandmother queen mary who is in her sickbed and they discuss sort of you know the role of the royals as um politics get very precarious and that and then we have our good friend venetia who is churchill's secretary and it turns out she actually has a life and so we get to see her a little bit more Thanks, Carlin. So, yeah, I feel like generally we try to be very similar to the Queen, a very sort of impartial podcast. But can I just say, to see this stuff happening in 1952 and just knowing the parallels to today, this was a very triggering episode. Okay, I was going to say, I don't think I could be impartial anymore. (laughs) I mean, you can assume that Peter Morgan had no idea that this was going to happen, but wow, he made a really good parallel. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if if it didn't resonate at all 
up until that point, I'd say the moment where one of the doctors said, masks don't do anything, really, <laughs> really triggered me, if nothing else. It was definitely triggering. Everything about it, the the climate change element or the man-made climate change element, um, the hospitals being overrun, just so reminiscent of some of the things that we face in society in 2020. Although now... 2021 maybe maybe it'll be better i mean hopefully hopefully this episode will eventually like no one will understand the pain we went through and it'll just be a very (laughs) specific pocket of like watchers who are just immediately triggered by this we can hope Uh, just to uh, piggyback on carlin's recap for a second uh, you mentioned that in this episode we got to see um a little bit more of anisha's personal life and get to know her a little bit um i just to correct you there, I think we get to see a little bit of what's left of Venetia's personal life. <laughs> oh, poor Venetia. Yeah. Uh, you know, RIP Venetia, who we lose so suddenly, but she had a very eventful first four episodes. Yeah, all culminating in this one. Um, yeah, I mean, this this was the Venetia episode. Definitely. Um, so I think for this episode, we should probably start out with kind of the main sort of plot line of the episode and that's of course this fog that lasts four days so one of the first scenes that we see is at the meteorological office it is december 4th 1952 and there's a problem and as we've seen several times in the crown now whenever there's a problem there has to be a game of telephone to really just communicate this problem to everybody how does this how do how do we feel about that uh, as a recurring motif here? I, I'm so glad you started off with that because I, I have some thoughts about that scene. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, about thirty minutes into it, I, I realized like, why are we seeing this? Because like it, it it had a lot of style and a lot of flair, but I realized then they could have just cut this out and had you know a letter arrive at the you know at Downing Street. Um, and we would not have lost anything like that. That scene was such filler. I, I guess it's showing like the the scheming to come. I didn't mind it. What I minded was that it took like a solid 15 minutes to see Elizabeth's face. And um, this yes. is the crown. It is not <laughs> the British Weather Channel. I think longer than 15 minutes. I, I, I for, may, maybe somewhere around that mark. I made that note, too, that this episode it took a while for Elizabeth to show up at all. Yeah, so I, they could have cut it. They could have taken five minutes out of that whole segment and put Elizabeth in earlier. I don't know, a nice little wake up, you know, pull out the royal curtains and there's fog. Something like that. I don't know. But wow, lots of weather. Yeah, I really liked this episode. Um, I, I think this episode has a lot of the DNA of what I would imagine has made The Crown such a popular show where, um, you know, yes, you, you know, occasionally, you know, occasionally they focus on the royal family's personal lives and just kind of what's going on within their own bubble. Um, but in this episode, you know, we got an A plot that was tied to domestic affairs and things that impacted, uh, you know, the residents of London and the actions that the royal family and also kind of more directly Winston Churchill would take in this episode. Um, you know, they, they have meaning, they have immediate impact. So um, I think that this was a really cool episode. Um, 
and I think this is probably the crown at its best, not necessarily when it's just kind of focusing on the family drama, but really, uh, you know, kind of showing how the royal family um, uh, is embedded into events that have high stakes, because sometimes there's a lot of question about like, well, you know, are what's the point of this family? Do they really have any significance? Do they make any impact? And I think in the case of this episode, it illustrates very nicely how, yes, you know, some of the things that they can do and scheme behind the scenes could have, you know, resounding effect on the residents of London and and the greater country. Yeah. One of the big sort of dilemmas that uh, Queen Elizabeth has in this episode is sort of figuring out what her role is in all of this and to what extent she should be a bystander or to what extent she should be sort of interfering in the political lives um, and just the everyday lives of her citizens. And this brings us back to one of our favorite characters, Queen Mother Mary, who has a very interesting view of royal life. And it's basically that they are God's messengers and they are here to show the the peasants how they should aspire to live. It's a very interesting way to view oneself. Oh, yeah. Though the, the religious aspect that they're sort of starting to integrate in there, I thought it was so interesting. And like Elizabeth, like buying in, like, you know, you assume that they're all religious. But it was kind of funny, like seeing Elizabeth for the first time, like she genuinely was like, oh, wow. Like she felt the impact of that which I think is such an interesting little character moment to get in there, like how she relates to this, like, in some ways, very grandiose and weirdly delusional, but like, okay, I'm not a royal, I guess that's what they think, sort of mindset that Mary brings into it. Queen Mary, excuse me. And (laughs) yeah, no, it's super, super interesting. And like, Oh, man, I want to know how many people she's told that to. Well, I wonder if uh, Elizabeth nowadays is telling the same thing to her descendants, because I I would imagine that this uh, this represents kind of a departure in how the sovereign sees themselves. Uh, Because, yeah, you could see the skepticism in Elizabeth's eyes and you could hear it in her voice. And yeah, I mean, that was a very, very jarring scene um, and, and really kind of like illustrated very nicely, you know, the. Again, what like you said, that delusional perspective that the royal family can sometimes, uh, you know, have about themselves and the pe- pedestal that they put themselves on. And here's Elizabeth, um, you know, who is still pretty young and and maybe not drinking the Kool Aid as much as the the older members of her family are. But here she is saying like, oh yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, and Elizabeth really, I think, touches upon sort of the this topic a little bit because the title of this episode is obviously called act of god and everybody's calling the smog um or fog or weather if you're winston churchill an act of god but here you have this other view that basically the monarchy is god and so there's kind of a reckoning between those two ideas of are they representatives of god on earth or are they at the mercy of god just like everybody else Oh, man, it's like suddenly occurring to me, like what the thematic thing going on with this all and like the idea that like if Elizabeth had gone through with it and like actually kicked Churchill out. Yeah. Wow. The impact she could have had. I mean, obviously it worked out okay in the end, but just the way that like the crown is starting to show us like what muscles Elizabeth can flex. I don't know. There's something really incredible about that. Like, go, Elizabeth. You haven't done too much in the past few episodes. Like, let's see you do something 
really drastic. Well, there was a really um, uh, incredible scene uh, toward the end of this episode when uh, Elizabeth uh, goes over to one of our MVPs, Tommy, uh, to get a little bit of uh, advice. And, uh, you know, for uh, a member of the royal staff who you would assume would is there to constantly enforce, uh, you know, tradition and consistency, here he is telling Elizabeth like, oh, just because your father didn't interfere in political events um, and didn't deem it appropriate to do so does not mean that that applies to you or this situation. Like you are able to really set the course here. And I, I was I was really blown away by that. Um, yeah, Tommy just continues to impress episode after episode. Yeah, Tommy right here. Different situation, different sovereign. There you go. There you go. Um, so one of the reasons that Elizabeth feels like she's in a position to really make this call is because the government is very slow to act. Obviously, for several episodes now, people have been talking about, oh, Winston Churchill is too old. He's too crazy. He's too brash. He's too annoying. Yet, when they finally have an opportunity to really highlight his inability to govern, Here's this guy, the leader of the Labor Party, and he's like, oh, he deserves a few days to really, you know, sort this out so we can see what he does. As an American, this is a level of decorum that is just crazy to me. Like, why give him the chance when you have it right there? Um, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because, um, I mean, it, it was literally a, a matter of uh, life or death this uh desolation of smog if you will um and <laughs> yeah, sorry sorry um but uh i i i do wonder um if if this is meant to, if that like moment was specifically meant to you know illustrate a time where there was more decorum in uh you know domestic politics um or if this was, you know, like you said, uh, a, a lapse in judgment uh, where the opposition party didn't get a chance to go in for the kill when they had the opportune, uh, you know, opening to do so. I guess I just really hope the Labor Party like grows claws after this and like their next move, whatever it is, maybe it's in like another 30 years. I don't really know much about British history. They just got to go in for the kill. Maybe it's really insignificant, whatever they do it for, but I hope they do it now. They've, they've learned from their mistakes. Let's hope they learned from their mistakes here because uh, I hear a lot of people died because of this. So, oof. I mean, you got to shoot your shot, right? I've got some bad news for you, Carlin. I I've seen <laughs> some of the headlines of, of, of the current state of the Labor Party in the UK. And uh, if, if, if they've gone in for the kill, th their target came back to life. We, we have like 60 years where we don't know what's going on. Maybe they had like a little moment and then they just slipped right back. Is what I'm assuming <laughs> happened. I don't know. We'll see. We'll Clem, see. do you ever get to be PM? Let's tune in to find out. Yeah, I mean, that would almost be as crazy as having a chance to impeach somebody and not taking it. Um, oh. so, <laughs> so one of the byproducts of this smog is that another one of our favorite characters, Prince Philip, is going to get very upset because this means that he needs to pause his flying lessons, which is all he's been looking forward to now for, I don't know, the last 10 minutes of the prior episode and the, the, the first 10 minutes of this episode. But he's very, he's very upset. You know, there are not a ton of things in life that I am certain of, but I am certain that somewhere there is a deleted scene 
where we get to see more of Philip's angst about not being <laughs> able to fly. I was really surprised that that wasn't uh, on display, uh, you know, more because you, you don't really get too much of that. And I was prepared for uh, Elizabeth's motivations around interference to potentially be tied into wanting to get her husband back up in the air. I know. Come on, Netflix, release the Morgan cut. We know there's more angsty <laughs> Philip in there somewhere. <laughs> Okay, you have to admit, though, like, it was kind of, like, it's been amusing this whole time that Churchill, like, just clearly hates Philip and wants him to suffer, <laughs> like, in every single way possible. But just the fact that it became a plot point now where it was, like, this man might lose his job because he's so obsessed with Philip's suffering. Like, that was an actual thing everyone talked about. Like, I thought it was just going to be, like a like, a joke that that's what Churchill brings up in his cabinet meeting when they're discussing everyone dying. But though, then everyone like, you know, Dickie comes in and he's like, do you know what Churchill was talking about? Well, it actually brings up a good point. Like if Churchill, you know, hates Philip so much and, you know, the Mountbatten's are relatively controversial, wouldn't it be best for Churchill if, if Philip did perish? Because you already have two heirs. <laughs> the line is already secure. So if you can keep the monarchy going in the Windsor name and just get, you know, this clown from the Mountbatten house out of the picture I'd chalk that up uh, as a win if I were Winston yeah why does Winston care so much about the flying lessons he was like oh Charles needs to be raised in like a stable household like sir I don't know if you know what this household's already like but I hear that um the royals they don't really uh pay attention to their kids much so like maybe if a nanny had died in a plane crash that that would have affected Charles but like Philip I don't know, sir. I mean, we, we have no reason not to believe that every single scene that we've seen so far with Charles and Anne uh, accounts for all of the FaceTime that they've had with their parents in their lives thus far. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, last episode, we saw Philip just berating Charles for not enjoying soccer enough. So maybe some time apart would be good for both of them. Oh my god, the alternate timeline where Char where Philip dies in a plane crash and we just see how Charles and Anne turn out. Wow, riveting. Alright, so the smog comes in and it's a real pea super. It's even too smoggy for Liz to go visit her uh, grandmother, the Queen Mother Mary. So she's going to walk and Queen Mother Mary, not doing so hot, is... I feel like our time with her seems to be numbered. It seems to be like... We're not going to get that much more of Queen Mother Mary in the crown. That's okay. No, that's <laughs> tragic. Did you not pay, like, that scene where she was explaining all the queens? So useful. It's like she was in my head. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I was fixated more on the scene where the Queen Mother Mary insists that the royal family is a more accurate representation of God than priests are. <laughs> so accurate. What are you talking about? God is a fop. It's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll miss Queen Mother Mary. She's given us some pretty great moments. Her Grim Reaper look, a great that was look. never explained. Wait, why didn't that ever come back? Um, and apparently she's still alive and they're planning her funeral and she can hear it if they open the window. That's just morbid. Explain that to me. Like, because we never got any, uh, you know, any sense that like when Bertie was still alive, that they were already making arrangements for his funeral and, and planning everything. And and here we have what, you know, might at this point be a borderline fringe member of the royal family. And, and suddenly they're already rehearsing. Like, I, I, I didn't get that. 
maybe they just did um Bertie's funeral really far away from him because he was really convinced he was gonna live. Like, you know, Queen Mary, yeah, she knows her mortality. Bertie, you didn't know. They had to try they had to do the rehearsals on the other side of the room. Other side of the castle. It also me. seemed like the doctors were very much into keeping Bertie in the dark about his own illness. And it seems like they don't really care about doing that with Queen Mother Mary. They're like, you're old. Your time is near. Well, I understand that, like, you know, there's probably political incentive around keeping Bertie's illness on on, on the down low just so it doesn't, you know, stir up a lot of uh, public anxiety. But, you know, it seems like a waste of resources to start, you know, paying whatever it was, a marching band to start rehearsing for a funeral performance. Like, I can't imagine that you need that much coordination especially when you don't know if it's a sure thing yet or not yeah i don't know with the way these um these old queens like the queens and all like the female members of the royal family they all seem to live very long like basing it solely off of this woman and knowing that queen elizabeth is like 94 or something right now like damn those windsor jeans for the ladies they they keep going they shouldn't have been planning that funeral she could have lived another 10 years like i'm sorry they didn't know that's why they had to keep the name. Who knows what, yeah. you know, what would have happened if they changed the name to Mountbatten. Oh, oh. <laughs> just immediately <laughs> all die in plane crashes. Um, all right. I think we've beaten around the bush long enough, but we have to talk about Venetia because as Ivan mentioned earlier, this is really Venetia's episode and Venetia is having sort of a quarter life crisis because she feels like she's done nothing in her life while at this time in Winston Churchill's life, he was such an accomplished individual. Ivan, walk us through how Venetia's feeling at the beginning of this episode. Oh, man. So this was really weird. Um, <laughs> like, let's, let's go chronologically here. So like the first like Venetia scene is like when she she was working late and, and so was Winston. And so they had, you know, a bit of a chat and you know, it, it brought up this whole like dynamic that you just mentioned of, of Venetia feeling that, you know, Churchill was this great man who by age of 23 had already, um, you know, written things and, you know, put his ideas and, and influence out into the world. Um, whereas, you know, maybe she wasn't as far along enough in her career at that time as she would have liked to be. But it's very clear, you know, from the onset that she has an admiration for him that goes a little bit beyond just professional. And Winston, uh, you know, makes this uh, brings up like a, a reminder of something that he had told her recently, or maybe she does, um, where he told her like, oh, he she needs to be in a relationship with a man her own age. And this just raised so many questions for me, because if nothing else it implied that they have had a conversation about this before. And I want to know what that conversation entailed. <laughs> that part of their conversation was so weird because then she is like, well, when I heard you say that, my immediate first thought was, well, I'll just read your autobiography about your younger self. And that's me hanging out with somebody my own age. That was so bizarre. Yeah, wow. I mean, look, there are very specific kinds of 20-something women that will fixate on older men who have accomplished things because, you know, all the other men, as she mentioned, were, I don't remember the exact word, but like inferior in every single way. So like, I guess I get where she gets this idea from, but like, I can't imagine that Churchill was ever hot. Like, no <laughs> offense to Churchill, but I don't know where <laughs> this attraction is coming from for her. She's an interesting soul. And I need a therapy episode with her, but I didn't get it. 
Not a single episode inside that woman's head. But the existential crisis was very relatable. Thank you, Peter Morgan, for giving me my <laughs> representation and then having my avatar get hit by a bus. Right. So, so again, like, yeah, like you said, she, you know, has this crush on this older man that is, you know, seemingly less than professional. And, and they've discussed that before. Like he, they, they had some conversation that led to him telling her that she should be in a relationship with a man her own age. Like, what was that conversation? What what did they cover? Who who provoked it? Like what what do you two think? Was Winston in the bath uh, in the bath while they were having this conversation? These are the real questions. I would assume it happened in the bath. Like it, it would I think have it's to, just right? a recurring thing that happened. Maybe this time she had to grab like a file, but she stayed. She looked a little bit too long, and he was just like, "I know that look." But the other thing is he could also hire a very attractive secretary. Like there's this motif where he keeps repeating that she's like a child. And then they show her in like a very, you know, her she's obviously a very beautiful actress done up. Like as much as they wanted to be like, oh, look at this corpse. No, it, she still looked very good and put together. So I'm like, you know what, Winston, you're not innocent in this either. Like we see what you're doing. Like if it's not like they picked a homely actress for this i think winston knew what he was doing like the rudy giuliani again Again, it always comes back it always comes back to this but but winston was not the one who hired her like she was already brought on as a secretary ahead of him returning to downing place and it was the the you know the house staff that brought her on so it, it wasn't that like like he had like a you know goal of you know getting a bunch of sexy secretaries on staff it was just like happenstance how do we know that we didn't see the hiring process he did keep her i acknowledge that that's probably true but i'm gonna go with this, <laughs> this is my theory well, it here. was back in, it was back in the pilot when he first showed up to downing street and you know he he noticed her and it's like are you new around here but then again he kept her he picked her she was selected well because she's good at her job she she stays late she puts in the hours She's obviously a very good employee and she's obviously a very good friend because her roommate becomes very ill because of the smog. But one of the things that I wondered is what happened to the roommate? Yes. Yes. I was wondering <laughs> the same thing. Like so much of a spotlight was put on Venetia, but she drops the roommate off at the hospital and we never see her again. Yeah, I I just have to wonder. Obviously, you know, what happens to Venetia is tragic, but like what about the roommate, you know? There are no clues. There is not a single clue about what happens to her. I like to think she'll show up again in a few episodes. Well, I think if nothing else the roommate was just supposed to uh be serve as an example of an average London resident at that time and how they were being impacted by this smog because you know, we get at the end of the episode when it before it cuts the credits, you know, an estimated uh death count uh as a result of this uh catastrophe and I think we don't ever really see anybody um dying or or you know any average citizens kind of being impacted other than venetia's roommate so that i think that was her purpose but it, it still would have been nice to get some kind of confirmation around whether she recovered or whether she was one of those tragic deaths we're assuming she was a death correct i i assume I think so yeah yeah so r.i.p to her as well great one episode showing your coughing was exemplary <laughs> now venetia it's a little confusing to me, and I'm hoping that you two can help me unpack this, because obviously 
she's here, she's having all these moments, but at the end of the day, she's almost just like a plot device for Winston Churchill to get to the hospital and have his PR moment. So what's really the purpose of Venetia? What are we seeing from her? Why is she here? Carlin, can you help me break this down? Okay, so I have like an answer of what I think like goes into it narratively, and then I have like my annoyed answer. So like, (laughs) I fully believe that like, Venetia was supposed to be there, like, to show, like, Winston being impacted by, like, the human tragedy because, like, he's one of those, like, dimwits who, like, cannot fathom, like, the actual impact of something until it affects him. Like, he's kind of shown to be that way, at least in with this crisis. And so I think that he's, like, that Venetia is supposed to be, like you said, like, a plot device to sort of spur that emotional change. And then I'm just annoyed by it because it's like, oh, like that's that's really you had to have like your secretary who worships you die in order for you to like feel in any way like you should do something about this tragedy. It doesn't. The funny thing is, like, I don't know what your guys's feelings at the end were, but like it didn't make me like Churchill anymore. Like it almost made him seem more manipulative because like essentially he wouldn't have done anything unless this had happened to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how this event has really shaped my uh, opinion of Churchill. But I I do think from like a pure mechanical standpoint, it's kind of as you described is that, you know, seeing her, um, you know, lifeless body really made an impact on him. It opened his eyes to, you know, the human um, element of this, uh, uh, you know, environmental catastrophe and, you know, prompted him to take action. Um, should he have taken action sooner? You know, probably. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the the narrative purpose of Venetia. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's a bummer that we're not going to get more of her and that, you know, her her purpose was to be, um, you know, sacrificed for the sake of the story. But um, I have a very pointed question for you, Carlin. Let's say that Venetia survives this episode. Where would you like to have seen that storyline going? Oh, man. I mean, so like... The dumbest part of my brain would be like, oh, let's let's see this like not affair keep on un- unfurling. Let's yeah. see how far she gets before like she makes a full on pass at Winston, which like <laughs> I assume this has happened to him at least once. I feel like politicians always there's there's someone who who, you know, gets there. That's what I would assume would happen. I mean, it'd be nice if um I don't know what else I'd want her to do. Then we'd really have to delve into like who Venetia is as a person and like what she wants is she going to go further into her existential crisis is she going to realize she wants to work in government is that even possible in the 50s for a woman i am honestly not sure and, and how did the uh, death of her roommate impact her like exactly oh yes that's how, how, does, how does that motivate her moving forward like yeah it, it, it's really a, a wasted opportunity for for venetia to have not stuck around there would have to be some sort of moment with her and Winston's wife, right? Where she's either trying to become Winston's wife or she has to kill Winston's wife. That has it's to be true. where this goes, right? <laughs> or Winston's wife is all for it. Oh, 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 that would be a plot twist. <laughs> to go back to Winston, apparent, quote unquote, learning something for a second. It's hard for me to think that his seeing Venetia was the thing that really convinced him that uh, you know, his his tact in this matter was incorrect because it coincided with him getting the phone call that Queen Elizabeth was summoning him to a meeting tomorrow. I think, if anything, this just showed that he's very shrewd. He's uh, very he's keenly aware of things that are happening politically, but it didn't make me feel like he was anybody that we should be looking at for guidance uh, morally. 
hold on a second um uh, j- just to make sure i have the timeline right so uh winston uh, he got that invite to come to buckingham palace as soon as possible while he was at the hospital surveying venetia's body correct correct yeah that happened at the same crazy timing on multiple occasions in this episode amazing yeah i mean that that brings up a good point if he did he arrive at the hospital knowing that venetia was already dead it seemed so yeah, so he okay. got a call, and then uh, I believe it seems like he had gotten a call that Venetia had been killed, and then he went to the hospital and then saw her there, and then while he was looking at her body, someone told him that the queen wanted to see him as soon as possible. Ah, uh, yeah, that that's, I guess we'll never really know, but I, I definitely think that there is a world here in which uh, Winston was already formulating his response uh, to, uh, you know, the situation and, and what Venetia's death has, was prompting him to do before he ever got that invite. I think the invite might have been the thing that triggered him to act as quickly as possible, but, you know, optimistically, I think he was already going to take action regardless of whether the queen wanted to speak with him or not that's i think it's possible i i also think he was just sort of feeling bad for himself and then you're right sam i i do definitely think it was the possibility of being kicked out of office by like a 25 year old that 100 percent got him going right so let's talk about that because that scene between him and elizabeth and then the subsequent scene between him and his wife that was awesome well before we get there um, because this leads into it, I want to talk about our friend Bobbity, who's one of my new favorite characters. Uh, so Bobbity is the the one person in government who's really going to stand up to Winston about the smog, and um, they get into a little bit of an altercation. Uh, so much so that Ivan, you asked me to clip that specifically, and then Bobbity proceeds to go behind Winston Churchill's back and tattle on him to Uncle Dicky. Which leads to another game of telephone. I just want to say props to Bobbity. You know, you are immediately one of my favorite people for standing up to Winston Churchill. Team Bobbity. Is that his first or last name? Unclear. <laughs> but I think it would be fine as either. Wait, okay. So uh, actually, speaking of, um, you know, him calling Lord Mountbatten, um, he, uh, I think in this episode, we got confirmation that that was uh, Dickie uh, and not uh philip's father as i had previously understood um i i i think they've done a really poor job establishing who lord mountbatten is and 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 how philip's related to him because i i was sure last week that this was philip's father and and not um uncle dicky and and this episode completely contradicted that yeah i guess because philip if he philip can lose all his titles like that i guess you'd have to assume his father's dead i will never know but yeah, Dickie didn't get a very good setup. It could be possible they're the same person. What if Phil's father is Uncle Dickie? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's why the line had to die. Yeah, I agree with you, Ivan. It's a little bit unclear. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the all the political maneuvering in this episode was really um, fun to watch. And I, again, I think it th- did a really good job of, uh, you know, showing us how the, you know, personal affairs and and kind of emotional vendettas uh, that the royal family uh, embed themselves in can really kind of intertwine with uh, things that actually impact the everyday, um, you know, citizen of the UK. So, yeah, I, I think this was... Um, 
you know, it definitely wasn't the prettiest episode to look at by far, just because, you know, we, we were, you know, shrouded in smog for um, over half the, uh, the total running time. But uh, yeah, just in terms of the, the goings on of the Royal family and the political leaders in this episode, um, I thought it was a really, really strong episode. Um, and, and definitely just kind of the most thrilling of, of the four so far. Quick uh, tangential poll. Uh, better visibility in an episode. This episode or the dark episode of Game of Thrones? Ooh. I think this one had better visibility. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, everything here had a very kind of like greenish, grayish tint as a result of the smog. Whereas in the Game of Thrones episode, I just couldn't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Never. I forgot about that episode until right now, but I... I can visualize not knowing what's going on on the screen. <laughs> I I agree with both of you. Good good take. But yeah, so tattling is a big theme of the crown so far because then Dickie comes to visit Queen Elizabeth and basically he wants Queen Elizabeth to be the the person finally to kick Winston out of office. Liz is like, "No, this is unconstitutional. I won't do it." But then he has the ultimate tattle when he says that Winston insisted that Philip stop flying, bringing us full circle back to where we were uh, just a while ago. And Liz is like, nope, that is the final straw. If he is not going to let Philip fly, then off with his head, metaphorically. I love Dickie. <laughs> so- Dickie's going in for the kill here. See, Dickie, Dickie is what I want the Labor Party to be. He just knew exactly what to do. So this is kind of interesting because, you know, even though we know that um, Elizabeth and her family are supposed to be relatively objective, like it's it's pretty clear thus far that they have a uh, soft spot for the Tories. And I would imagine a lot of, you know, the other, uh, you know, aristocrats and members of noble families throughout the land probably have the same lean. So it's kind of interesting that you know, Lord Mountbatten is saying like, hey, let's get the conservative guy out of office and and let the Labour Party swoop in. That that like, I mean, again, like if we want to draw parallels to today, it's like nowadays it's like, you know, people are willing to put up with whatever, um, you know, nonsense their preferred party is conducting if it means keeping them in power. Well, yeah, we got a moment of that from the very beginning when uh, they find the letter that is about the smog and then there's that guy that goes to the labor party and he says this is not a government this is not a government i liked your government much better okay so did that guy was that an act of treason to intercept mail (laughs) that was meant for the pm and, and take it to the opposition party like that seemed not okay yeah it's a minor felony but who cares i support this man he was ready to save 12,000 people failed to but you know he tried yeah, but mail theft is a serious crime. I like the idea that that's what your charge is, but like really, it's it's mail theft, but you were really trying to save the country. Mailmen really are the backbone of Western society. <laughs> Truly. All right, so now, Ivan, this brings us to the moment that you were alluding to earlier, where Winston is called in by a young Queen Elizabeth for what can only be described as a moment of reckoning for him. Yeah, so so it's interesting. So the next morning, uh, Winston responds and actions that he has uh, sworn to undertake have already made him 
a massive PR success. Like the country loves him. Um, he has re-embodied the wartime prime minister persona that he was previously famous for. And the country just has an instant, uh, you know, love affair and has reignited their, uh, their passion for uh, Winston Churchill. So by the time he gets the Buckingham palace, like he already has the people on his side, which puts uh, Elizabeth in a challenging position where the whole purpose of this, uh, you know, unscheduled or previously unscheduled meeting um, was to tell Winston to back off. And uh, as we saw, like Elizabeth was still steering the conversation in that direction, despite um, everything that happened overnight. And yet, uh, you know, we cut over to a conversation that Winston is having with his wife sometime after the meeting where he's recapping um, what happened. And, you know, we learned that Elizabeth completely pivoted away to a different topic. Um, and it was clear that Winston had triumphed and he got a total kick out of how these events played out and you know his uh, he was patting himself on the back and it, it was it was just a joyous moment for him and um even though you know i'm still again i don't know how i feel about winston we we kind of go back and forth on him on the show right now but you know if nothing else it was great to see him so happy carlin another moment of crazy timing because liz is literally just about to fire him and the sun comes out how how crazy is that coincidence? It's so crazy and it is so anti-feminist. I was so ready to watch <laughs> Elizabeth drag Winston out of office. And then that happens. So um the sun's a Tory confirmed. <laughs> I forgot about the sun. Like that like I, I assumed that this was all as a result of, you know, just Winston having curried favor with the public. But the fact that there was a, you know, Deus ex machina like that, I totally blanked on that incredible like there is god saying clem you suck like truly incredible timing i i love it but yeah no that was wow is it proof that god is not a monarchist i guess that's what's happening here really like i said elizabeth she was so ready to have her moment of power and she just she didn't get to have it yet i hope she gets to fire someone later because i i was really excited for that yeah so right after this uh, Liz is talking with the Queen Mother Mary again, and the Queen Mother Mary tells her that sometimes uh, her job is going to be just to do nothing, and that is going to be the hardest job of all. Should we respect somebody for doing nothing? How is this a regal thing? To be totally honest, I am just thinking of that episode in Avatar The Last Airbender where like one of Aang's lessons was to learn how to do nothing. So like I guess this is something that's somehow considered good. So you know what? Kudos to you. I had a different reference, and it was that scene in Forgetting Sarah Marshall where Peter's learning how to surf, <laughs> and Paul Rudd is telling him to do less uh, until he eventually does nothing. I think both Last Airbender and Forgetting Sarah Marshall were written by Peter Morgan. True. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then uh, to close it out, we get, you know, now that the sun is out, Phil can fly again. And he is going to learn how to fly faster than anyone has ever learned before. He has literally nothing going on. This is his quarantine goal. He's going to learn how to fly. Yeah, he and his new buddy Peter, they're going to go get lunch in Edinburgh. Could you imagine if they just hadn't come back? <laughs> you know, in an alternate universe, I think that a spinoff show about 
Peter and Phil's adventures just off flying. There's definitely an audience for that somewhere. Oh my God. I mean, you can tell where the budget of this episode went. Those, you know, scenes up in the air looked phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as I don't really want Philip to ever, you know, get what he wants, it's still nice to see, um, you know, him uh, bonding with Peter. Because I think, you know, and we have mixed feelings about Peter too, but I think generally we have a more favorable view of him than we do of Philip. And, you know, it it was nice to see... Oh, God, I almost said Philip hanging out with somebody who would be a good influence on him. But I guess, you know, with the whole infidelity thing. Um, But just in terms of personality and decorum, um, you know, I think uh, I would love to see Philip become a little bit more, um, you know, cordial and friendly toward people in the way that Peter is. So if nothing else, I hope, you know, that part of Peter kind of rubs off on him. Real underreported story. Uh, underreported story that we didn't talk about was a moment at the beginning of the episode when they're flying, and Philip says, "It's way too loud up here. Can we make it a little bit more quiet?" And Peter just shuts off the engine on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> what if they just died? Like, what if that was the end? So I I know very little about airplanes, and even less about airplanes from the 1950s. But when that scene happened, you know, my wife, who was watching the episode with me, she just kind of explained, like, "What the hell? Like, can you just do that?" <laughs> and then oh, they're gonna man. do what did you say? Like a dead landing? I don't even know. Why would you yeah, want to do anything called that. a dead landing? Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, knowing very little about airplanes, I had no idea that you could just turn off the the plane and glide your way to safety, especially with like an old clunker like that one. That was, I mean, it was a really cool scene, but yeah, uh, I, I would say if anything, that was the big takeaway of the episode is like, you can turn off the airplane and still be fine. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's it. That's probably one of the two things that I learned. The second thing, also in that scene, I learned that Phil really wants to kill somebody. He's very obsessed with how many people Peter has killed in his life. Um, And that (laughs) seems like a goal that Philip has for himself down the line. So those are two things that I learned um, in this episode. Carlin, anything else we learned in this episode? I mean, I learned that like Elizabeth seems to really want to be part, like vote labor, but she just can't. I feel like that's her inclination. Ivan, anything we learned in this episode for you? Um, you know, aside from the plane gliding thing, um, I don't know. I think the, I think to me, the big takeaway here and, and the big takeaway for Elizabeth is that, you know, her, uh, rule is not necessarily going to be defined by the, um, same level of tradition and, uh, you know, abstention from having any kind of opinion that her predecessors had. Um, and, you know, I, I would point back to that scene with uh, our buddy Tommy as being the best in an episode that had a lot of really good scenes. Um, and I really liked the uh, the tone that that set for, uh, you know, future dealings. You know, Tommy is starting to grow on me. At first, he seemed just like a guy with a stick up his ass. But, you know, he seems like he does have the interests of both the royal family and of the nation uh, at heart. Yeah, I like Tommy for now. This is going to bring us to the Kinky Crown Award, and I don't know about you two, but I feel like there's definitely a clear winner of the Kinky Crown Award. Yeah, and... Wait, what is yours? I I have nominations. Oh, you have... Sorry, Carmen, please list off the nominations. Well, I don't know what your guys are, and maybe it is what I'm thinking, too. But, like, I think we have to give some credit to the son completely fucking Clem. Like, he just... Wow. (laughs) 
spectacular. <laughs> and then the very particular scene where Venetia has Churchill's biogra- autobiography and her roommate is like, hey, do you want to go out and like go to the bars and get laid? And she's like, no, I want to read this book. And then empty apartment, she goes into her bed and starts to read Churchill's words. We all know what happens next. Yeah, so wait, I mean wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wow. Okay, you had a very different read on that scene than I did. Carlin, I feel like your mind and my mind work very differently than Ivan's mind. We Clearly. say these we have these thing we have these moments every episode and I think we just blow Ivan's mind sometimes and I enjoy it. Quite quite great. Wait. So wait, so Sam, was that the scene that you were nominating as well? I didn't really have a scene in particular. I just thought that Venetia, besides her death, basically everything that happened that she did in this episode could have been a nominee for the Kinky Crown Award. I mean, sneaking in to her office late at night to steal her boss's autobiography, um, having a uh, you know a semi-scandalous conversation with him, you know, in in his office. I just think that Venetia is the runaway kinky crown award winner in this episode and you can point to any of the moments honestly (laughs) that she had in this episode and they they would fit okay well i mean i I don't want to reduce venetia just down to her uh sexual prowess so no no, not at all we should single out uh, a specific scene among all this and for me it was you know that scene that we discussed earlier where uh there was an implication that at some point winston and uh, venetia had broached the subject of her admiration and fascination with him to a point where he had to tell her that she should be in a relationship with a man her uh, own age. Um, and, and maybe that's not as kinky as your interpretation of that later scene of her uh, reading the autobiography. But um, I think that, you know, if, if nothing else, like the fact that it was more or less confirmed that they had actually discussed her crush on him, th- that's got to be my nomination. I think that I'm going to have to go with Carlin on this one. If if the book is indeed where you're leaning, Carlin, I think that her reading the book alone in her bedroom, you know, and just really getting into it uh, has to be a kinky crown. It, it's definitely deserving for me. All right, sweet. This is what I'm here for. It's, it's just <laughs> uh, Thank you for that moment. I hadn't, I had forgotten about that moment until you brought it up. But now that I think about it, the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what? You're definitely right. All right, so I feel like that's a wrap uh, for the most part on season one, episode four of The Crown, Act of God. Um, On the way out, anybody else that we, do we think anybody else could have done a better job ruling than Queen Elizabeth? No, I, I think I think we got to give the award to Liz this time around because she, um, you know, thought very carefully and critically about, you know, what course of action uh, she should take. She, uh, you know, consulted, uh, you know, multiple members of family and staff to kind of get their opinion um, and then, you know, landed on the decision that she felt most confident about. It didn't end up, uh, uh, you know, panning out or having the impact that she intended, but uh, I very much agree the, with the way that she went about her decision making in this episode and for that i think you know she should continue wearing the crown for now i agree with that if you go a level lower than the monarchy maybe the leader of the labor party could have done a better job ruling over the government but, i, I know, do trust bobbity or clem much more than churchill in this case yes yes indeed and so 
RIP to everybody that was impacted by the the smog for those four days in 1952, an event that I really had heard nothing about ever um, until watching this episode. So I don't know about you two, but this feels like a, a pretty serious thing that happened that I didn't know anything about. This yeah, was a very I, educational episode. Yeah, very educational. I had no idea this has happened. I didn't even know this like could happen. Apparently it happened in, what did you say, Philadelphia? It happened in yeah. Philadelphia first. These are all things that are very underreported. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much uh, coal is being burned around Los Angeles, Carlin, but if there is a sizable amount, you better watch out. Yeah, I if we have coal, too, on top of all the car fumes, we're really screwed here. So uh, thanks whoever's not having coal be a big resource used in L.A. All right, so I think that's going to take us to a wrap uh, on this episode. Next time on Crowning Around, we will be reviewing Season 1, Episode 5 of The Crown, entitled Smoke and Mirrors. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to all of our earlier episodes and any of our episodes that are coming up in the future, either at our website, www.paginatedmedia.com slash crowningaround. It's also available on any platform where podcasts are available and for any news uh, about the podcast, you can follow us at Crown Around Pod on Twitter. Uh, Ivan, if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, you know, I- I'm spending less and less time on Twitter nowadays, uh, just as a result of just everything. Look around. Um, but uh, yeah, Ivan Vukovic, you know, first and last name. I think I uh, locked that down back in 09 in, in, in Twitter's early days. So um, yay, branding. Um, yeah, and same for other social feeds. <laughs> Fantastic. Carlin, uh, where can people find you on social media? Is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, let's see. Twitter, Carlin Greenwald. Um, and then Instagram, Carlin underscore G-E-E. And uh, that's everywhere I'm at. Cool. And I am on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. God won't save the queen. Oh, God a truly twist. won't save the queen. Oh, well, I'll save her. God save the queen. Well, I guess God won't. No, God save the queen. Sam save the queen. <laughs>